Pastor Xavier Reese asks, after counting the costs, what will remain of your commitment to Christ? The Lord says, you know, you want to be used by, oh, yes, I want to be used, Lord. And we look at the positive. We're going to reign with him. We're going to have prestige, authority. But we don't count the cost. I'm going to be hated. I'm going to be mocked. I'm going to be scourged. I'm going to be crucified. You want to be identified with me? You see, we lose that concept today. Welcome to Simple Truths, the daily half-hour study of God's Word with Xavier Reese, Senior Pastor of Calvary Chapel of Pasadena, California. C.S. Lewis had this to say about pride. A proud man is always looking down on things and people. And, of course, as long as you're looking down, you can't see something that's above you. And today we'll be hearing about a lesson of pride that Jesus had for none other than His own apostles striving to be elevated. Pastor Xavier presents a simple truth study drawn from Mark chapter 10 today, titled Secrets of Greatness, in which he explains how in God's economy, the way up is down. Let's listen. One day a young preacher went up to the pulpit very confident and proud. As he began to share his sermon, he had much difficulty. When he came down from the pulpit, he came down with his head hanging down, depressed, and really just brokenhearted. He was one of Mr. Spurgeon's students. He went up to him, and Mr. Spurgeon was a famous preacher in England called the Prince of Preachers. And he says, if you would have gone up the way you came down, you would have come down the way you way up. Pride. Pride is such a difficult thing with man. You know, we have often a category of our own, what is the worst of sins. And we say, well, if you lie or if you steal or, you know, if you commit sex or whatever. And we all have our different categories of what is the worst sin. But do you know that the Bible categorizes that pride is number one on God's list? Read the proverb. Pride. And yet that's at the heart of man continuously. And unless we recognize that, we can be blind to the pride that really rules and directs our life in every way, even within the church of Jesus Christ. Pride and humility are as opposite as sin and holiness. They're exclusive. And yet pride will cause me to sin, while humility will cause me to guard against the sin of pride. But again, we have another problem because the minute I recognize I'm humble, pride's entering already. It just seems that we have that canny ability within ourselves to think more highly of ourselves than we really ought to. The proverb is full of pride. Pride goes before destruction, a haughty spirit before the fall. And it's no big deal to start humble. The key is to stay humble. <laughs> Everybody will appear to be humble at first because they consider it a privilege. Well, you know, you, you remember getting your first job. Oh, yeah, I'll do this. I'll do that. And then you're there for a while. Say, hey, I don't need to do that. It's not my job description. You know, stick it in your ear. I'm not going to do that. And it doesn't take very long for us to get so puffed up because we do think that we can really earn and deserve a lot that takes place in our life. Now, this morning's passage here in verses 35 through 45, 
Our Lord and Savior provides for us some lessons on greatness, but true greatness. In verse 35 through 37, we have the seeking of greatness. It says, Then James and John, the sons of Zebedee, came to him, saying, Teacher, we want you to do for us whatever we ask. And he said to them, what do you want me to do for you? And they said to him, Grant us that we may sit one on your right hand and the other on your left in your glory. Don't miss that. James and John sought for greatness because of pride. Think with me as we've gone through the Gospel of Mark. Remember that they were chosen by Jesus to be in the inner circle. Peter, James, John. In chapter 5, verse 37, remember when Jairus came to Jesus and said, My daughter is at the brink of death. Come, and I know that she will live. After the woman with the issue of blood was healed, the servant came and says, Don't bother the master any longer, for your daughter is dead. And Jesus says, don't pay attention to that. Let's go to the house. When he got there, he picked Peter, James, and John and says, you guys come in with me. They were privileged to walk in with the mother and father and to see the little girl be raised. Now, I don't know what that does for you, but if I was walking with Jesus and he let me go and, and, and he left the other nine behind, I would think I've got a pretty good niche with the Lord. I mean, after all, he didn't have to pick me. Therefore, he must have picked me because of something I've done. <laughs> because of who I am. In chapter 9, verse 2, once again, he picks Peter, James, and John to go up to the Mount of Transfiguration. They saw him transfigured. His face did glisten and all that one of the gospel writers could say is, man, I've seen clothes be washed and I've seen white shirts, but Jesus wore the whitest shirt that I've ever seen. It was white. Once again, Peter, James, and John, but the two of the three are there. They had concluded that because of this place of privilege, that whatever they asked Jesus... He would grant it. It's called presumptuousness. It comes out of pride. David prayed in the psalm, Lord, keep me from presumptuous sin. He also said, put a door at my mouth. Does that give you an idea where presumptuous sin usually manifests itself? James says that this little beast between this ivory cage Sets the world on fire. The tongue. But don't forget, your tongue is not only connected to your throat, it goes deep into your heart, the Bible says. And therefore, it's only the instrument that manifests the source of the problem, the heart. Matthew 20, 20 and 21 says that their mother came and the word grant 
could be translated command. Now we have some of these individuals today that I think are related to James and John and their mother, which command God to do all kinds of things. It's presumptuous pride. Notice the blank check. Whatever we ask. Can you ask whatever and God give it to you? Not according to my Bible. He says, what's according to his will? How do I know his will? I must know his word. If I don't know his word, then I will determine his will. And I will become presumptuous. These are disciples. They're not Pharisees. Look at verse 37. They said to him, grant us that we may sit one on the right hand and the other on your left in your glory. James and John sought for power and prestige. The right hand speaks of the place of privilege, power, and authority. When a king sat on his throne and a person sat on his right hand, they were second man. There was only one person above them. Webster's Dictionary defines power as the ability or capacity to exercise control and authority. Don't we like that? We like to exercise authority and control over people. It gives us a sense of, of, of just being someone. Just look at our age today in which we live in. You know, we are little gods. We can do what you want. It's in you. Just tap into it. Don't worry about everybody else because if you don't grab the gusto, you only go around once. And we are constantly being pushed to not be considerate of others, but to always be caught up with self. Now, lest you think this never happens in the church, look around. But start here at the scripture. It's James and John. And as I look to the church of Jesus Christ, I see so much self-love and so much desire for power. And prestige. And yet, whose church is it? It's the Lord's church. It's not my church. It's not your church. We are the church. We are his body. And the body usually responds to the head. Unless you're spastic or you have some nervous disorder. And sometimes I look to the church of Jesus Christ and that's exactly what it reminds me of. Everybody's pushing for greatness. Everybody wants to be acknowledged. Notice he says, in your glory. This implies prestige. Webster defines prestige as prominence or influential status achieved through a success, renown, or wealth. Now think with me. Jesus has just mentioned his death and resurrection. This makes the sin much worse. He says, I'm going to die. This is the third time he has said it. And I'm going to be raised from the dead. What are they concerned about? Power. Prestige. Fame. Because in their mind, they still have the Jewish mind. The age present and the age to come. Hey, the age to come is here. He's going to set up the kingdom. He's going to go to Rome. He's going to, to Jerusalem. He's going to wipe out Rome. He's going to set up his throne. He's going to sit. And hey, me and my brother, we're going to be right there. You guys need some problem? You come to us. 
we'll talk to Jesus for you. But that's not what Jesus had in mind. They weren't even listening to his hurt. They were listening to their own desires. And sometimes we can be so caught up within ourselves that we're not even sensitive to the hurt that's around us and other people because we're so concerned with our greatness, with our prestige, our power, our control over things. You remember Haman in the book of Esther? He got promoted to second to the king. And he couldn't settle for that. There was one little short little Jew that, that would not bow to him. He didn't have control over this man's life. And he kept plotting to just do him in. But the interesting thing is that he got hung on his own gallows. You keep seeking for greatness or myself. And God will give me enough rope to hang myself. He's patient. Believe me. But if I don't learn the lessons that God has in store for me. I will be directly responsible for my own downfall. And it will always be seeked in pride. Always. And yet we have to be careful because in the church we seek for greatness so many times. You know, we get so territorial. This is my ministry, my children's ministry. Nobody in here. Whose ministry is it? And so you have... People in the Church of Jesus Christ, whether it be in ministry, on a, on a children's ministry, music ministry, or even from the pulpit. And you have this competitiveness. You have this competition going on, and it demonstrates a carnality so often. Because we want to find our niche in the body of Jesus Christ. When in reality, we all stand on the same basis before Jesus Christ this morning. We have different gifts, different callings, but we're not in competition with one another. But we become very territorial. This is mine. I've been here the longest. So what? Then you should be the greatest servant. How many of you got up this morning and said, Oh, Lord, thank you for this day. Thank you for this beautiful day. Now, show me how I can serve somebody when I walk in the Calvary Chapel of Pasadena. How many of you said that this morning? Raise your hand. That's exactly what we're to do every time we come to church. But some of you got up and said, well, I hope Xavier quits rebuking us. I hope he gives a positive message this morning. <laughs> Others of you came and you said, man, I really have some real needs. I, I hope that somebody's sensitive to me. And we come in and God does so much for us, but it doesn't take long to turn it around and we get so caught up with ourselves that God can't even use us. The whole option is to serve. Look at verse 38 through 40. The reproof for seeking greatness by Jesus. But Jesus said to them, You do not know what you ask. Can you drink the cup that I drink and be baptized with the baptism that I am baptized with? And they said unto him, oh, yeah, Lord, we can hang with it. We can do it. Sure we can. Notice that Jesus says they do not know what they ask. The word ask 
the scholars tell us, is an indirect middle voice in the Greek, which represents the person acting in his own interest, self-seeking. What is Jesus saying? I know you think that you're sincere. I know that you think that you're asking without a selfish motive. But by the word that Mark gives us, they were asking in a selfish motive and not knowing it. What does that tell me? It confirms what Jeremiah 17:9 and many other portions of Scripture says. The heart of man is deceitful and desperately wicked. There are times when you and I will seek and do things and we'll say, oh, no, I just love the Lord. I just love that prayer. I'm just doing it for that. But you know when we find out when our motive was not right? When they don't thank us. When we don't receive the attention. We say, oh, I can't believe him. If they only knew what I canceled out to, to help them. If that guy only knew what it cost me. I'll see if I help them again. And we don't even know it. And instead of receiving the conviction of the Spirit, we seek to justify ourselves and to prove the sin of the other person when God at all times allows that to be manifested the way it is to show me my own heart. Jesus reproves them very mildly here. They didn't even know it. Now, stop and think with me. If their theology was right, they would have reigned. And that's why they asked. Jesus would accept the kingdom. But Jesus says, you don't know what you're asking. Not only the motive, but if Jesus said, okay, guys, you got it. James, John, right hand, left hand. When I get there, Wherever I'm going to be, you'll be there. You know where they would have been? They would have been next to Jesus on the cross. <laughs> we have no idea at times. Jesus asked them, Can you drink of the cup that I drink and be baptized with the baptism that I am baptized with? The cup represents the experience that God had for him, the cross, the agony, the suffering. Psalm 23, 5, Psalm 75, 8 speaks of the cup, uh, symbolic of the experience that God has for the individual. Can you drink of that cup? Oh, yeah, Lord. The Lord says, you know, you want to be used by, oh, yes, I want to be used, Lord. And we look at the positive. We're going to reign with him. We're going to have prestige, authority. But we don't count the cost, the negative aspect. We have our eyes on the positive aspect. And we don't understand. The word baptism speaks of being identified with the sorrow's death. Psalm 22, Psalm 69. Are you sure you want to be identified with me? I'm going to be hated. I'm going to be mocked. I'm going to be scourged. I'm going to be crucified. You want to be identified with me? You see, we have made the cross to be some glorious symbol. And so we put diamonds in it and we make gold out of it and we hang it around our neck and we put it on our dashboards and we do it all kinds of funny things with it. In the days of Jesus, when he said cross, there were only one message that people understood. They meant death and a slow death, a gruesome death, a shameful death. You want to be identified with me? You see, we lose that concept today. And so we think that the church is a place to come in to be great, to compare one another. Well, I'm more 
spiritual than them. Well, I can do more than them. I've been here longer than them. I give more money than them. And all the angels in heaven throw up. And it's incredible. And so Jesus prophesies that indeed they both would drink of the cup of the baptism. In verse 39, Jesus said to them, You will indeed drink the cup that I drink in the baptism I am baptized with. You will be baptized. Acts 12, 1 and 2, James was killed by the sword by Herod. Peter was thrown in the slammer for a couple of days, but then released by an angel. John, the beloved in Revelation 1-9, was exiled to the island of Patmos for his testimony, but not before he was boiled in oil. They truly did drink of the cup and were baptized with the baptism. Maybe you haven't drank of the cup or been baptized with that baptism yet, but you will. God will put you in situations and take you through situations of life that you will have to come to the end of yourself or you will come to the end of everything to show you that in yourself you can do absolutely nothing. But he won't let you go through those things before your time. James and John say, now, Lord, now. He says, can't handle it right now, man. But after a while, you will. And God is so faithful because he never allows a testing or a trial to come to my life unless he knows I'm ready to take the test. And that I have the capacity to pass it. It doesn't mean I will. It says I can. <laughs> the choice is mine. If I'm willing to drink and I'm willing to be baptized. They both speak of death. Death to myself, drawing life from Jesus Christ. And then Jesus says that the Father will determine who gets that place of privilege, the right and the left hand in verse 40. But to sit on my right hand and my left is not mine to give, but it is for those for whom it is prepared. What does he mean? Does he mean that he didn't know? Is he saying he's not God? No. He is just saying that from the predetermined counsel for knowledge of God, it is the Father who will appoint that place of right and left hand. He already promised to the disciples in Matthew that they would sit on 12 thrones. And yet, we don't understand how is it that the counsel of God between the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit all work out. I don't understand those kind of things. If I did, I'd be God, and then you'd be in trouble. I don't understand those things. But Jesus says that the Father will give those things. And you know why? Because God sees the heart. You remember when Samuel was sent by God to Jesse's house because Saul had rebelled and the kingdom had been rent from him? And he entered in and he says, you know, line your sons up. God is seeking a king. One by one they came in and Samuel looked at one after the other and said, oh, this guy's handsome, he's tall. Certainly this is it. No, 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 all the way down. He says, do you have any other sons? He says, yeah, I have one little ruddy kid. He's redhead, freckle face. He's taking care of the sheep. He said, well, we'll bring him in. The minute he walked in, God says, anoint that boy. He's the king. And 
he says there because God does not look upon man as man looks upon man he doesn't look at the outward but he looks at the heart Pastor Xavier Reese illustrating how the first step in following Jesus is an examination of the motive of the heart now there's much more of this message to come next time but if your schedule won't permit you to tune in as always you can pick up a copy and the title you want to ask for is simply Secrets of Greatness it's available on CD for only four dollars And this might be a study you'd like to pass on to someone in your church or Bible study when you're through. Now, once again, the title to ask for is Secrets of Greatness, or simply mention today's date. You can request your copy by writing Simple Truths, 2200 East Colorado Boulevard, Pasadena, California, 91107. Or to make your request by phone, call 800-926-1485. Again, that's 800-926-1485. Or the address, once again, is Simple Truths, 2200 East Colorado Boulevard, Pasadena, California, 91107. And thanks for mentioning the call letters of this station when you get in touch. This helps us track the effectiveness of this ministry in your area. And then join us for more Simple Truths next time with Pastor Xavier Reese. Simple Truths with Pastor Xavier Reese, a daily half-hour broadcast, is a radio ministry of Calvary Chapel of Pasadena, California. www.calvarychapelpasadena.com 